0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Text message comes from the Old Testament reading of Joshua, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the story that we heard today might be the most famous story we have of the Israelites entering and taking parts of the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised to give them. Joshua had been chosen to replace Moses. Now, after wandering for 40 years in the wilderness, Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land because he had hit the rock, instead of talking to it. Moses has now passed away, being able to only see the land of Canaan from the mountain where God had buried him. Now Joshua is leading the people. He was one of the two faithful spies who had spied out the land of Canaan originally, along with Caleb. He was with Moses on the mountain when the Ten Commandments were given. And now he is marching the people around the city of Jericho with the Ark of the Covenant once around the city for six days. And then on the seventh day, they march around the city seven times. Now when you hear a story like this, it's one of the those ones, where you might go, is this really true? I mean, this isn't unique to today, because in the next number of weeks, you're gonna hear some stories from God's Word, and you might ask, is this really true? Can you imagine marching around the city of Winnipeg? Like, the perimeter highway seven times in a day? Now obviously Jericho wasn't as large as Winnipeg because I don't know that it's physically possible to do it in a 24-hour period. But even just marching around the city once for six days in a row might make you start to question what is going on here. Then again, Last week, we heard about the two spies who were sent into Jericho to check it out. And, well, who helps them out? Of all the people in the city, but a prostitute by the name of Rahab. A prostitute, really? A prostitute who just so happened to believe that the Israelites were God's chosen people and that God had already given them this city. She keeps these spies safe. And the spies promise that when they come back to take the city, that she and her whole family, who are in her place with her, will be kept safe. And here we are. It's now the seventh day, and you can imagine that. I mean, Rahab is probably just watching all of this from her bedroom window, which was on the wall of the city, with that scarlet cord of promise hanging there. Now, if you're a fan of any type of war movie or a movie that features some big face-off on the battlefield, any of you? Okay, some of you, good, all right. Well, you'll know that each great scene begins with this amazing speech by the leaders of, of the good guys, you know, the ones that we're rooting for. You can think of somebody like William Wallace in Braveheart, General Maximus in Gladiator, Aragorn in Return of the King or the President in Independence Day. They get their men and women ready to take on whatever lies ahead, no matter how dark the road might be, how many lives may be lost in the process in hopes of a victory. We know that Moses was not the most confident speaker in the world, and I'm not sure just how eloquent Joshua was either. Listen to his speech and picture it being shouted to the Israelites as they're getting ready to blow those trumpets after marching around the city seven times. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city! Okay, he doesn't actually start out that bad. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. I even hear it's okay. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Well, now he's just giving us facts as to what we need to do. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction lest when you have devoted them You take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it So don't be greedy But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord Okay, so we're giving it to the Lord What you see here is not some inspirational speech for the people. And it's really because of his first line. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. He didn't really need to pump the people up because God was with them. He had promised it and he had already guaranteed the victory. But... They still needed to get into the city. They still needed to bring the walls down. So they blow those trumpets. They shout, and the walls come tumbling down. And they bring destruction upon the city. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So Rahab and her family are saved, and as you heard last week, Rahab the prostitute goes on to be a part of the line of Israelites that leads to Jesus. She is the mother of Boaz, who we will hear about eventually, and she is the great-great-grandmother of King David, who we all probably know Now, this victory over Jericho was not the end of taking the promised land for the Israelites. And in fact, the promised land is not even taken completely while Joshua is leading the people. But Jericho was a key city because it controlled the routes into the heart of Canaan. And it controlled the fresh spring water vital to that area. So this was the first step in taking out the heart, which would ensure that you could take the whole land. And in order to take the heart, you have to tear down a few walls. And in that moment, we have now crossed over from from talking about Jericho to talking about you. God wants all of you to join him in the promised land of heaven. However, there's a problem. It's our heart. As you heard in the gospel reading, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. And because our hearts are evil, corrupt, because our hearts are full of sin, it leads to more sin. And a sinful heart is an unbelieving heart, and it leads us to fall away from the living God, as Hebrew says. So we as defiled, sinful, unbelieving people build walls around our heart to protect it, to keep it that way. Because we are all born with this sinful nature, which means it's natural for us to sin. And since sin comes from our sinful hearts, our sinful self wants to protect that sinful heart, that sinful nature. And so we could say that our sinful actions build walls around that heart. Now, some of you might be sitting there saying, well, I'm a believer, so I don't have an unbelieving heart. That doesn't mean that you are without sin. So even if you are a believer, you still sin. And we still build walls to protect that sinful self inside. What are those walls, you might ask? It could be anything, really. It could be a wall of fear. It could be doubts. It could be distrust. It could be pride. It could be holding on to past hurts that others have done against you. It could be withholding forgiveness from those who need to be forgiven. It could be grief. It could be grudges. It could be the sins of your past that you cannot get over, that you think are too great to be forgiven. It could be the sins of your present that you are just consumed with right now, and you can't just seem to get out of it. It could be shame and guilt. It could be all kinds of false beliefs, false teachings that you are immersed in. Maybe you don't even know that they're wrong. Maybe you do know that they're wrong. Maybe you don't care that they're wrong. Maybe you do care that they're wrong, but not enough to change. Maybe you do care, but it's just so ingrained in you and who you are that you just have trouble leaving it behind, tearing it down. Whatever it is, the walls that we create separate us from God. The walls of sin, our hearts of sin, our sinful desires— our sinful actions, it all leads to death. And not just physical death, which is true, but it leads to hell, eternal death. And the thing that leads us to hell is our unbelief. And it's that unbelieving heart that we have to get to, that we have to break through to. The good news is, is that God is pretty good at tearing down walls. So what do you need torn down in your life today? Any of those things we've already mentioned? Or something else? Something deeper, darker, stronger. doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how strong it is. God is stronger. He cares about you. He cares about your heart, that unbelieving heart of yours. And taking your heart is the way to securing all of you. And the way to securing your eternal life. And that's why he sent Jesus. Jesus. We often think about sin creating this chasm between us and God. Not allowing us to get to heaven. And it's too big for us to get across on our own. And thus, Jesus had to come. Be the bridge. Be the one that makes eternal life possible for us. And that way we can walk across. But sin also separates us from God. And what do walls do? Well, walls, they separate things. They divide. It creates a division, and so we can even view sin as this wall between us and God. A wall that is so high that no one can get over it. A wall that is so wide that no one can get around it. A wall that's so thick that we can't break through it. And there's no doors, there's no gates to go in and out either. The same thing happens here. Jesus needs to come and break through that wall. Now, we have been seeing in the Old Testament that God is in the business of using sinners for his purposes. Sinners like prostitutes and adulterers and liars and thieves. Every single sin there is, God uses those people. Now, this doesn't mean that God approves of those sins. In fact, he doesn't. He is holy. He is perfect, and he demands perfection from his people. He also knows that his people are not perfect. And amidst their imperfections, amidst their mistakes, amidst their sins, He can still use them to fulfill his purposes, to fulfill his plans. He can still use them to show his mercy, grace, and love. And his greatest plan was sending his son into the heart of this sin-filled fallen world where he would be rejected by the sinful people he came to save where he would be nailed to the cross by those who would not hear his word. Jesus went to the battlefield of Calvary, but he didn't come with some inspirational speech for his people. He came with words of, Father, forgive them. Because he knew that he had to die. And usually when the the trusty, the strong leader of your army, dies? Not a good sign that you're going to get the victory. God's battle wasn't just some physical fight on the battlefield of earth. God's battle was a fight against sin, against our sinful flesh, against the devil, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places and against death, against hell itself. It was a battle that we could not see being, having taken place, even though that battle was going on right there on the cross. And that battle resulted in the death of Jesus. And in fact, he didn't put up much of a fight. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, Jesus took death, but death does not mean defeat, at least not for Jesus. Death means victory. Death means victory over the devil, the world, our sinful flesh, and hell itself. And it was a victory that only Jesus could win, because he is the perfect, sinless Son of God, And in sacrificing his life for us, paying the price for all of our sins, for all of our selfish, sinful, evil desires that come out of our hearts, for all of the sinful thoughts that come out of our minds, for all of the sinful actions that come from our hands and our mouths, a price, a debt that we could not pay, he took in order to bring about our forgiveness. And because he who was without sin became sin for us, he has atoned for all of our sin. The wrath of God was satisfied and Jesus rose from the dead. And in his resurrection, he declared his victory. His victory over sin, death, and the devil. His victory over the world in our sinful flesh. He has broken down all of the barriers, all the walls that sin has built up. And he has washed us clean with his precious blood. And he has taken out. He has taken, he has taken that sinful, evil, unbelieving heart of ours and he's made it new. He's made it whole, He's made it his by the power of his death and resurrection and through his Holy Spirit. And with these walls torn down, we are called to come before God with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And rather than tearing down, God is now Building up. Building up a foundation of faith, hope, and love. Building us into the body of Christ, joined together by faith through the word and his sacraments. And through his Holy Spirit's work in us, we build one another up in love and encouragement. Yes, God's in the business of tearing down walls to get people to the promised land. But he's also in the business of building up the right kind of walls to keep our faith in him secure. And it's he who accomplishes that work in you, not with some inspirational speech, but with his mighty deeds of Christ's death and resurrection. Amen.